Hello, this is Pastor Rob Barber of Bethel Church in Tempers Plains, Ohio, where our mission is connecting people to God. Welcome to our podcast. I'm very excited to share the Word of God with you today, because according to Romans 10:17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I trust this message will increase your faith as you listen to what God has for you today. God bless and enjoy. Hallelujah. We just start things a little different this morning, but our God is in control. That's all we care about. Amen. How'd our kids do? They did a great job, didn't they? Amen. Praise God. You know, I want to thank Talisha because she put a lot of time into teaching and training those kids. (laughs) I know there was time she wanted to pull her hair out. I'm sure of that. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's an awesome time of, of year. We get to, to worship our King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and uh, celebrate the, the coming of our Savior. My title of my message is, Unto Us a Child is Born, and I've got a series that we're going on doing up until Christmas. Um. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God in the flesh is what we recognize. Came to earth, became a man, and walked in on this earth without spot or blemish, without sin. So that he could die in our place and become our lamb of God. Our perfect lamb. Hallelujah. What an awesome God we serve. He's always had a plan. The enemy has a plan too. But God has always had a plan. I want to talk to you a little bit about a plan this morning. Because all that we're talking about in regards to leading up to the birth of Christ is fulfillment of prophecy. And we're going to take a look at Luke, chapter 1. We've been looking through the the book of Luke. If you would like to turn there or get to that scripture, Luke, chapter 1, we'll be reading 57, 58, and then 76 this morning uh, to begin with. The first verse, 157. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. The Hebrew word here, uh, time, full time, uh, the phrase there, means to to finish or completion, a space of time. So we know that uh, because God has put certain principles into place, the normal gestation period for uh, a child to be born you know, it was nine months. So the scripture is telling us that that time had come for Elizabeth to fulfill the time of a woman giving birth for a child to come. However, in Genesis chapter 21, verse 2, it says, Sarah conceived, and we're talking about the, the birth of Isaac. Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the t- 
time of which God has spoken to him. Now that word is a little different there in the Hebrew. This word is talking about something a little different. It's talking, it's the moed. It's the, group, the root word for the uh, feast that God, the specific feast that God established, the seven feasts, moedim, or appointed feasts of God. This word means an appointed time, an appointment fixed a time or a season. This is something many times that only God knows in advance, and He reveals to man at times. Sarah and Elizabeth both brought forth sons at their appointed time, the time that a child was supposed to be born. But they also brought forth those children at the time that God had appointed in history for them to come. This is important for us to understand that God has a plan for everything. God is in control. I know we sometimes think that the enemy has this great power and he disrupts God's plans. Absolutely not. Enemy comes in like a flood, but God will raise up a standard against him. He always does. God is well able, and he guides and directs and keeps. doesn't matter what the enemy does. The enemy can try to stop things. When God first promised Abraham that he was going to give him a son, Abraham was 85 years old. It wasn't until 15 years later that that promise was fulfilled. Abraham wondered if it was going to be fulfilled. And if you remember the story, he even made a huge mistake by taking his uh, wife's handmaid, Hagar, and having a relationship with her, and Isaac was born. Uh, or Ishmael, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Ishmael was born. Ishmael was a huge mistake. Yet God didn't condemn Abraham for it. But I can tell you this, the world even today is suffering because Ishmael was born. There's conflict in the Middle East right now because of Ishmael and his, his followers. Many mistakes are made, but God still had a plan. God it did not catch God off guard. The Moed, the set time, the appointed time came. When Zacharias received the promise he would have a son, it took place less than a year after that. So sometimes the promises that God give us, they take a while. Sometimes they come sooner than later. But God always comes through with His promises. When God gives you a word, He has a set time for that word to be fulfilled. And sometimes it's hard for us to be patient and wait for God to fulfill that time. But that's why, that's why it's so important that we get a hold of, we catch hold of that, that promise that He gives us, we hold on to it, and we trust Him that He's going to fulfill it. It may happen soon. It may happen later down the road. In Luke chapter 1, verse 58, it goes on to say, When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown, shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Now skip down to verse 76. And you, child, this is I, Zacharias prophesying, prophesying over his own son. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. This is a about 700-year-old 
prophecy that was fulfilled when John the Baptist was born. Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That prophecy was given many, many hundreds of years before the fulfillment. But God had a plan. He had a specific time. He had a moed that he was expecting. And he uh, expected people to wait for that plan to be fulfilled. And expected people to be looking forward to that plan to be fulfilled. And many were. Many were looking for and expecting the Messiah to come. And they were expecting the forerunner, Elijah, to come. And John the Baptist fulfilled part of that as he uh, went about proclaiming the goodness and the good news that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John was the last Old Testament prophet. From there, we made the transition into the New Covenant. Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood. He was the perfect Lamb of God. And now we're in the New Covenant. The time where all people who will and have a desire to accept and receive Jesus Christ as a personal Savior can be saved. It's no longer just dependent on the Jewish people or the Hebrews, their way of worshiping. God established them for a purpose, and that was to show the whole world that He had a specific people set aside to worship Him. They failed Him greatly. Now the church has that responsibility. Are we going to fail him? Seems to me like maybe we are at times. Now not the whole church, but the church overall have at times abandoned the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rather than preach the, the reality that Jesus saves, that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, and that every person is a sinner and needs to repent and come to the glory of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. God's mercy. We like to pat it sometimes. We like to tell people, well, you're okay. You're going to be all right. Just, you know, just be a good person. That's not the Word of God. That's not what it tells us. Tells us that we have, we must repent and turn from our wicked ways. And that means that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you walk in a different way than the world walks. You set a different standard, you set a new way. Prophets are servants of God, they are Old Testament prophets, they are New Testament prophets. Prophecy is still alive and well. The gifts of the Spirit are still alive and well in the church today. There are two kinds of prophetic words that are given to God's people. Conditional and unconditional. Conditional prophecy is when the prophecy uh, fulfillment is dependent on the compliance of those to whom the promise is made. And, and they fulfill those conditions. Those are, that's a conditional prophecy. Let me show you one which we're all very familiar with. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and heal their land. That's a conditional prophecy God gives to His people. We have a responsibility. We must humble ourselves and 
and seek God. And we must not allow wicked ways to come into our life. If we do, we turn from those. We repent. We seek God. This was given to Solomon in a dream uh, as he was preparing uh, to serve Israel as its king. And God said, you can stop the judgment that I pour out on your land if you will do this thing. Seek my face and turn, pray and turn from your wicked ways. God also told the Levites, or told Israel in Leviticus chapter 26, that he would send rain for their crops only if they would keep his statutes and his commands. You see, our God, he doesn't want to bring judgment on people but he is a righteous judge. And if his people refuse to serve him with all their heart, soul, and mind, he has no other recourse but to pour out judgment. That's why it's so important that we live righteously in every way we can. Jonah went to warn Nineveh. Nineveh repented. The king repented and they all fasted and prayed and wore sackcloth. And God heard their prayers and repented of His uh, desire to destroy Nineveh. In Jonah 3.10 it says, And God relented from the disaster that He had said He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. Our God is a merciful God. If we will cry out to Him, He will relent from His planned judgment. All these, these things that I just shared with you, I believe they're conditional prophecies. I believe there's been many conditional prophecies been given to this nation, our nation. William Branham had a vision of judgment coming up on this nation in the 1930s. A.A. Allen had something very similar in the 1960s. David Wilkerson warned us in the 70s. Henry Groover saw it in the 1980s. Dmitry Dudema told us, and he was from Romania. He didn't even speak English. He had an interpreter, but he said that God sent him here to the United States to warn the United States that judgment was coming if we did not turn. Recently, many other people have seen judgment coming on this nation because of the wickedness. Not only the wickedness that's happening in our nation, but the wickedness that we're exporting all over the world. Abortion, same-sex marriage, the abuse of the elderly, the poor, wars. Our nation is guilty. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm telling you, it's time for God's people to get very serious about seeking His face, calling out to Him, and asking Him to forgive, repenting of our sins. You know, when Daniel prayed and sought the face of God, he put himself in the place of all those people who had done wickedly. He said, God, we have done wrong. Daniel was a righteous man. The scripture said that God looked at him and saw him as righteous. But that Daniel prayed and said, God, we have done all this wickedness before you. 
a belief. That's what God is calling His people to today. Repent on behalf of our nation. Through the years, God has used prophets and laymen and minis. To, to, he's given them dreams and visions. But I do believe this. There's always hope. There's hope when we cry out to our God. He hears our prayers. He understands that we are weak humans, but when we repent and cry out to Him, He will forgive our sins and turn from what He has planned. Amos 3, 7 says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret to His servants, the prophets. We have been warned, and I'm just trying to, to let everybody know it's very serious time that we're living in. But my God is an awesome and mighty God. One of the things that I have, I always know is this. That His righteous people, who, the people who are truly serving Him with all their heart, soul, and mind. He is always there for them. And He always keeps them even through the judgment that He sends. I've seen it happen time and time again. The Hebrews in Egypt is a good example of that. He kept his people from the plagues that came upon on Egypt. God will do that. The coming of the Messiah was one of those prophecies that was not conditional, but unconditional. Unconditional prophecies is one which there is no condition predicated for it to take place. Prophecy from God that will come to pass exactly as prophesied no matter what humans do. John the Baptist was one of those prophecies. The coming of the Messiah was one of those prophecies. Herod couldn't stop it. He tried to kill our Lord and Savior, all the children in Bethlehem. But he couldn't stop it. No one can stop an unconditional prophecy. When God says it's going to happen, it will happen. It's going to happen. The coming of our Messiah was a glorious prophecy that was looked upon and, and expected to happen for hundreds of years. The sad thing is, when it did, so many people missed it. Only a handful, it seems like, realized. Shepherds, wise men, a few people who came to, to visit the Lord in Bethlehem realized that the King of kings and the Lord of lords was born. All these things take place because God ordains it. In chapter 13, John sees a beast rise out of the sea, which is humanity. Revelation 13, uh, in Revelation 13, 4 is where I'm talking about, I'm sorry. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Most dispensational uh, scholars believe the beast is a representation of both the Antichrist and his kingdom. Uh, we get the term Antichrist also from John. It's in John chapter 2, verse 18. He's called many things. He's called the beast. He's called uh, uh, evil. Uh, there's a lot of terms that are used for this person that we've labeled the Antichrist. But John uh, basically gave us that terminology. 
But the point I'm trying to make to you this morning is that the prayers of the saints combined 24-7 would not stop the coming of the Antichrist. So you can stop praying about that. You're not going to stop it. When the time comes, it's going to happen. What you need to be praying about is that we live our lives in such a way that it pleases the Lord God. And that we share the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we go. Getting all excited and tore up about the condition and the situations of the world is not going to help a thing. We're not going to change the outcome. We're going to change people's hearts. Now, when people's hearts are changed, individual hearts are changed, the situation changes. Many, many times, even in the history of our nation, the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, the uh, Azusa Street Revival, all the great revivals that took place in our nation happened because God's people got serious about prayer. And individual hearts were changed because the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached. People received Christ and repented of their sins. I believe there is hope. I believe God is still moving. I believe it's dependent, though. It's a conditional prophecy given to us. God has given us the conditions. Repent, seek His face, pray. The Apostle Paul also got, received a conditional prophecy. When he was preparing to go to Jerusalem, a prophet by the name of Agabus came to him. He said this to the Apostle Paul, Acts 21, 11. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and delivered him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, Everyone tried to keep Paul from going to Jerusalem because they knew that this was, a, they believed this prophet. They knew it was going to happen. Paul also believed the prophet. But because Paul believed that God was telling him to go, it did not matter what was going to happen to him. He said, I'm ready to be jailed. Not only am I ready to be jailed, but I'm ready to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that's where each and every one of us has to come to in our life. We have to be ready to die. Now, we may not die physically, but as a believer in Jesus Christ, there's a lot of things when you first come to Christ that God expects you to die to. He expects you to put aside your selfishness, your own ambitions, your own desires, and begin to follow His will and His plan. Paul could have avoided all that. All that he went through. And yet because he believed that God had a plan for his life. He didn't mind being jailed. He didn't mind being persecuted. It took him all the way to Rome. And along the way he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the end Paul completely and totally fulfilled the promise that God had for him. Now, I share all this with you this morning simply to say the announcement of the birth of John was unconditional. It was going to happen. The birth of the, our Savior is unconditional. It's going to happen. It was Zacharias and, and Elizabeth's responsibility to live righteous before God. And the Scripture said they were righteous people. 
I believe that each and every one of us, our life is a journey of conditional and unconditional prophecy. Sometimes we don't even know it. But I believe that's true. Our responsibility is to live right. Not try to fulfill anything. Just live right before the God, our, our God and our Savior. The rest is up to God. He fulfills it all for us. My second point this morning is, His name is John. Luke 1, 59-66, that's what we're going to read. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father. What would he be called? What, what he would have him called? And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt among them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child would this be? And the hand of the Lord with his, was with him. John and Elizabeth was given a word from God, a plan. The beginning of that plan was to name him John. Everyone around them said, no, you don't want to do that. You don't have anybody in your family named John. Why would you do such a thing? They did it to fulfill God's will in their life and in that child's life. We have to stop looking at the circumstances and the situations around our life and start listening to the voice of God. 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We're living in this eternal bliss for the rest of our lives. And our lives are really not going to, going to end because we have an eternal existence with our God. God had an eternal plan, and you're part of an, an eternal plan. You just need to fit into that plan, whatever it is. Sometimes it's not, not uh, that you're going to evangelize the world. Sometimes it's just that God has given you a mission here in your family and in your life to fulfill. Sometimes it's to be a witness for Jesus Christ in the marketplace to lead and direct people so that they will see and walk in such a way that other people will recognize there is a better way to live your life. God has an eternal plan that I believe that each and every one of us is a part, part of it. Zacharias and Elizabeth stuck to the plan. He shall be called John. Didn't matter what anybody else said. Everyone around them questioned the plan. But they chose to believe God's plan. Every time or any time that Tammy and I have decided that we're going to do what we felt God wanted us to do, there was always opposition. I can guarantee you, no matter what you do, 
If God spoke to you and told you to do something, not everybody's going to be on your side. You're going to have opposition. People are going to try to stop you. That's the way the enemy works. He works through people. For good and for evil. When we started working with youth, the enemy tried to stop that. When we started uh, working at children's services with uh, the children there, the enemy tried to stop that. He used people that said, oh, that couldn't be God's plan for your life. No, we don't want you doing that. When we started the group home, we had very few people who was on board with us. But thank God we had a small group of people that believed in us enough to stand with us. I'm going to tell you, that's what you need. When God gives you a plan, surround yourself with people that will support you. Forget about the naysayers. Became the pastor, more opposition. If you think opposition is um, something unusual, you're very mistaken. And you will be caught off guard. Because as soon as you decide you're going to do something for the Lord, the enemy wants to stop it. And the only way he can stop it is by discouraging you and stopping you. He cannot stop what God's going to do. Zacharias and, and Elizabeth stuck to the plan. They had to raise their son to love the Lord and know the Lord. That plan ultimately, and, and John himself stuck to the plan, that plan ultimately cost John his life. I believe with all my heart that we must give up our life to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Give up our whims, our desires, our expectations, and just walk before Him with all our heart, soul, and mind. Walking in the plan and becoming successful in that plan will not always look like worldly success. For John to lose his head didn't look like a very successful person, did it? But he fulfilled the plan. And now it was time for the rise of the Messiah. The plan continued. You must be willing to stick to the plan no matter what happens. No matter how much the enemy comes against you or tries to stop you. Listen carefully to Jesus' words in Luke chapter 14 verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brother, his sister, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, don't misunderstand Jesus' words. He's not telling us that we should hurt, hate our family members or that we should hate anyone. That's contrary to the overall teachings of the Word of God. But what he is saying is that I must be number one in your life. No one else. Your spouse your children, nothing else, your pleasures, your entertainment, your work, nothing can be more important than Jesus to you. People all over the world are being enslaved they're being imprisoned many are dying 
for their faith in Jesus Christ. Because they did not love their life so much that they would not die for Christ. Or they would not go through whatever it is they had to go to. They were separated from their families, many of them, because, merely because they loved Jesus. Your love for Jesus Christ must be greater than anything else in your life. And if you love people, you love your family, you love your spouse, you love your children, that's, sometimes that's going to be a struggle. I'm not telling you it's easy. Because we're supposed to have a deep love for these people that are close to us. We should love our church. But our relationships with anybody and anything should not be more important than our love for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, before he became a Christian, he was an atheist, and he said he rejected the fact of God. After his conversion, he said the real reason for his atheism was hidden was a hidden corner of his heart with a fence around it with the sign that said, hands off. He said, I didn't want anyone, including God, to interrupt my plans. I want you to know this. God wants to interrupt your plans and insert His plans in your life. My last point this morning is, the way of peace. How many want peace in their life? How many feel ultimate peace in your life right now? A few do. Okay, good. Praise God. God wants us to walk in peace. He wants us to have the peace of God in our heart. It's not always easy to obtain that peace. The world offers all kinds of things for us to receive peace. Pleasure, drugs, alcohol, you know, anything that our flesh desires is the way the world tells us that we can receive peace. A woman went to her therapist one day and she was telling her therapist that she just didn't have any inner peace. And her therapist said, well, the way to get inner peace is to finish everything that you started. So she went home that day, and she finished everything that she had started. She finished a bottle of red wine. She finished a bottle of uh, grape wine. She finished her Prozac. She finished off her Vicodin. She took a couple Oxycontin. And when she was done, she told her friend, You have no idea how peaceful I feel. That's not the kind of peace we're looking for. The peace of God. But many people are chasing after that kind of peace. The, the drug addiction problem in our society is huge. And it's not just street drugs. It's prescription drugs. That many people are having issues with. And, every, and just because we have a prescription, we think it's A-OK. You know, take them the way the, the, the doctor tells you to. But be careful if you're on some kind of drug that, that is addictive. They can become very, very controlling. And I say that to you from experience. I had a major back problems. 
And when, when I had that problem, uh, the doctor put me on Oxycontin, Vicodin, and uh, there was one other drug. I don't remember what it was. Percocet, right. All three of those. I was taking all three of those because my pain was just unbearable. And he said, we've got to get your pain under control. Well, after taking these things for a while, I began to realize this, this isn't the way I want to live. You know, I was, I was being controlled by these drugs. So with God's help, I began to, to, get, my, to get off the, particularly the Oxycontin because I felt like they were, the, they were the ones that I had issues with. And uh, believe me, it was not hard, so I sympathized. It was not easy. I sympathized with people who are, have an addiction. It was very, very difficult. And I went to the doctor and uh, <clears throat> finally told him, I said, I told him what I was doing, that I was trying to wean myself off from him. And he said, you shouldn't do that by yourself. He said, I'll help you. So he did. He, did, he helped me get off that, the Oxycontin and eventually, you know, the other drugs as well. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this from experience. I can tell you that these narcotics are very addictive and they can destroy your life. God doesn't want our lives destroyed. He wants to give us His inner peace that comes through the peace of God that we cannot even understand. Luke chapter 1, verse 76 through 80, it says this, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His way, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercies of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of the dark, to guide your feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. John grew up giving his whole life to the Lord. He was taught by his parents to love the Lord with all his heart, soul, and mind. He gave God his control of his life. He was in the desert. Many uh, Bible scholars, based on the findings in the, the uh, uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, I'm sorry, slipped my mind for a moment, F the findings in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the writings of those who were there, some people believe they were Essenes, some people believe they were not. The Essenes were... Uh, Gnostics, regardless of who they were, seems that, according to the writings of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that John the Baptist was a part of that group that was in, uh, in those caves that helped write those scrolls and the many writings that have been found, the historical writings and things that have been found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. John the Baptist was in the wilderness. He was there in the Dead Sea, and he learned and he grew and he was taught evidently by biblical scholars of that day. The true uh, prophets and priests of the, uh, the temple, the ones that were run out by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So there's a lot of history there, and you know, we don't want to go into any of that stuff. But my point is that John the Baptist. He received 
instructions from his family. Then he went out and he received instructions from those who knew the, the Word of God and taught the Word of God. And he established himself and he did what God called him to. And he fulfilled the plan that God had for him. He came preaching in the wilderness and baptizing for the remission of sins, preparing the way for the Lord. Our God is awesome and He's mighty. He's a great king. He has a great plan. But He wants to give us His peace. And during this time of year, I think it's important that we be able to just try to relax a little bit and rest in the peace of our God. A young lady, uh, a columnist, Deborah Mathis, wrote about a time when she was at Union Station in Washington, D.C. She was there on uh, business, and it was a really particular busy day. The first thing that she remembers was the experience was the, so much noise. It was a noisy hubbub of sounds and things going on. The public addressed, uh, announcer addressing calling out arrivals and departures, scores of pagers going off and walkie-talkies, cell phones, uh, people talking. Uh, there was ho horns honking, machines clicking and clanking, babies crying, security guard yelling at somebody that was in the wrong place. Uh, three ladies stood up and were arguing about something. Uh, just so many noises going on. She said it was, it was chaos. And then she heard a man up front that was, uh, he, she saw him nervously pacing around. And then suddenly she heard something from the back. She heard someone singing. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Slowly a change came over the noisy crowd. The voice continued, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry. We do carry. Do not carry everything to God in prayer. People sat stunned. They stopped. The ladies stopped quarreling. The noise settled down. There was a peace that just settled over the whole place. Man in front of her had been nervously walking around, suddenly sat down and quietly sat there for a minute. He said, that's nice, and I don't even believe in Jesus. The presence of the name of Jesus can bring peace no matter what. Stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. Bob Mumford said, The peace of God brings... Peace with God brings peace of God. And I believe that. That's what we need more than anything, is peace with God. And that's why Jesus Christ came, to die for our sins. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you about your head this morning. There's anyone here this morning that 
doesn't have that peace with God this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. I want you to have the opportunity to know God through His Son, Jesus. If that's you, you've never made that commitment. You never asked God to come into your heart through His Son, Jesus Christ, and forgive you of your sins. Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Praise God. It's like we're in a house full of believers. Hallelujah. Amen. If you're here this morning and you, uh, for some reason, you've let that peace just kind of drift away. Maybe you need special prayer. I'm not going to have you come up, but I am going to ask you to raise your hand and we're just going to all pray together for those of us who need God's peace to come back into our lives. Hallelujah. Yes. Thank you. I see those hands. Amen. Glory. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for everyone who raised their hand this morning. You hear, you see, you know our hearts, Lord. We need your peace. Allow us to walk in that peace. Keep us from being worried about the things that are going on in our world, things that's happening in our families, things that are happening in our life. Lord, help us to walk and rest in your peace. For that's what you desire for your people. A peace that passes all understanding. Today, Father God, we just receive that again in our life. We embrace it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. Is there anyone that would like to have special prayer this morning? If you would, come up and we will pray. Hello, this is Pastor Rob again. I pray you enjoyed this podcast. What a blessing it has been to have you join us on this social media platform. If you would like more information about Bethel, please check out our website at BethelChurch.community. You can also follow us on our Facebook page at Bethel Church, Tepper's Plains. Have a blessed day and remember, love never fails.